This is Mary Pope Osborne, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone. Not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... The show and the characters kind of started to take on a life of their own. Like they just, I don't know how else to say it, and if this sounds too foolish, but they sort of told us what they needed to be. The characters told us who they needed to be. The stories told us what they needed to be. And and in you know infusing the parts that we liked about the historical comics with who, comics with who these characters are and, and this nod to childhood, um, it just kind of grew from there, and we let it. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome back to another episode of the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com or on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all those great places at thegbbpodcast. I am Jamie Green, your host. You can find me at The Roarbots pretty much everywhere. And welcome back. It's great to have you here. Uh, we are now in pretty much the thick of summer, so I hope you guys are staying cool. Um, and I hope you have some fun stuff planned for the summer. What are you guys doing? Where are you going? Is anybody going to San Diego uh, Comic-Con? I unfortunately am not. I was planning to go this year. Uh, family things came up one thing after another and i'm not going to be able to make it unfortunately so but maybe you are you don't have to let my sadness get you down are you going to uh san diego are you going to some other con this summer are you gonna have fun are you going on a trip where are you going let me know uh hit us up at the gbb podcast or you can get me personally at the Roarbots. let me know what you're doing where you're going what kind of fun you're having I am planning something for August, and I'll probably talk about that at some point, but not today. Uh, today, I'm just trying to s- suffer through the uh, the heat and humidity that's outside. But the one th- one of the things that I look forward to every week are these uh, bringing you guys these episodes, and we have a lot of really great stuff coming up. I wish I could. Uh, I-, I don't want to spoil any of it, but we've got a lot of great names, a lot of great episodes coming up in the next few weeks over the summer. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself because today, this week, we are talking, we're going to Harvey Street. Uh, Harvey Street Kids is the newest DreamWorks Netflix collaboration. And uh, if you listen to this show, our show, with any sort of regularity, you'll know that we have covered a lot of those shows before. There's a lot of DreamWorks animated shows on Netflix right now. Uh, and we have talked to the creators or the executive producers or people involved with a lot of them. We've talked to the gang from Voltron, Legendary Defender, Dragons, Race to the Edge, Dino Trucks. And one of our guests today has actually already been on the show. It was a long time ago. It was three, three years ago, I believe. Uh, Brendan Hay. And that was when he was just starting out on Dawn of the Croods, which was the first show that he did for, for DreamWorks and Netflix. Uh, so we talked a little bit about that then, three years ago, but he's now back because he is um, head writer and one of the executive producers on the Harvey Street Kids, along with Eliki Theophilopoulos. And we have both of them on today, and we talk about Harvey Street. 
If you're unfamiliar, Harvey Comics was a publisher, a comics publisher, way back in like the 40s and the 50s. Uh, they, they published characters like Casper and Richie Rich. They were the original homes for those kind of characters. Um, and they also had these three books with these three characters, these three girls, Little Lotta, Little Audrey, Little Dot. And what they've done with Harvey Street Kids on DreamWorks and Netflix is they've taken those three characters, put them together as friends on like a cul-de-sac in, in, you know, generic suburban America and and updated it for 2018 they've taken a lot of the supporting characters from those comics and they really really updated them and i i have to say the show is a lot of fun uh brendan he's the first to admit that this show is sort of low concept they're just going for like what is it like to be a kid in the summer and you know on these on this street what's it like to be a kid and you know i look outside right now and i see the heat and the humidity and the kids running up and down the street and i think they've nailed it on many of these many of these things and in my own memories i think they've they've nailed the story um brendan is like i said he's the head writer he's one of the executive producers aliki is also an executive producer and she's the showrunner and so we talk quite a bit about uh the history of the characters where they came from what kind of direction they got uh, working, working on the show, you know, Brendan compared it a little bit to his experience on, on Dawn of the Croods. Aliki comes from a much, um, she comes from an animation background. She worked for Disney. She worked on a number of properties for them. She worked on, you know, she worked in feature animation. Uh, she worked on, for television. She worked for direct to DVD with the Descendants. Um, and, so we, we sort of we, we wrap it all together and we talk about how they've ended up on Harvey Street and where they're going to go with the show. Um, it, it's a great show. I definitely recommend checking it out. If you've got little ones, especially, it's just it's just a fun show. Um, and uh, and and Brendan and Aliki are just super fun to talk to. So I'm going to stop chatting now and I'm going to let you guys get into it. Uh, so enjoy. One, two, three, go! Brendan and Aliki, thank you guys so much for coming around to talk. It's awesome to have you. No, Thanks thank for having us. Yeah, thank you. So, Harvey Street Kids. I'm sure you guys have been having to do this quite a bit, but what <laughs> is the history with the Harvey comics, and where did these characters come from? Um, so, yeah, it's the old uh, Harvey comics characters, uh, Little Audrey, Little Dot, Little Lotta, and we, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, for us, this is a case of... Um, the rare thing where it's actually the studio wanted to do something with these characters first and came to us. Uh, there's a development executive here at DreamWorks, Beth Cannon, who this has been a little bit of her passion project for a very long time. Like I remember actually when I was first starting on Crudes, she was first mentioning like there are these three comic book characters, the Harvey girls and like her wanting to do this years ago. So it's been this thing that she's always wanted to find. Um, so in that time, she, there's another writer, Emily Brundage, who she worked with. They developed kind of what, uh, the take that would become Harvey Street Kids, uh, they developed at that time. And Aliki and I came in later when the studio reached out to us as... Um, as hey, moving into production. Exactly. And, yeah. We have this idea. We have these characters. Where do you want to go with it? And um, 
it just became this super fun project. We both wanted to jump on, uh, which we'll get into our reasons for it in a moment, but going back to who the characters are, um, it's kind of funny. It's because we play with the heritage a bit, but mm-hmm. it's really just we took these three girls, because thankfully, even back in their old incarnation, they have a really hilarious core root. Like, they're funny characters. It is, Audrey is just this character of pure id who just is all action doing what she wishes. Dot is this character of obsessive precision from her beloved style of dots to science and anything else she puts her mind to. And then Lada is just this oversized, both literally and figuratively, character that just has a passion for all things enjoyable in life and fun. So they were just fun characters to play with regardless. And we just kind of ran with that and into the show that we describe as taking place in time of day that's between when kids get out of school and when they have to go home for dinner. Mm-hmm. Like it's that magical time that basically is just a kid society on a block where or in a park where kids just do their own or thing and can exactly <laughs> anything can happen. Like so, it's just dropping those girls and building out their supporting cast in their world and having fun in that. Who saved the ice cream truck? I'm melting. Help us, Harvey girls, save our frozen treats. Yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit about. Um, kind of how we took the classic characters and moved them into this animated show that we ended up um, creating. Um, like Brendan said, the characters in the comics were were defined in a way where um, there were already three distinctly different great characters. Um, but then it was taking, uh, taking them and kind of updating them to the point where um, they would really work for an animated series. And um, my inspiration for that was the time that I had spent working on the Mickey shorts, Paul Rudish's Mickey shorts at Disney. And I loved how um, he found this really great balance of kind of honoring and nodding um, the the classic Mickey Mouse shorts, but in a way that felt now and updated. And so that was the goal for our series. So it meant, um, you know, maintaining some of the things that um, defined the characters in the past, but pushing them and plussing them in a way that felt current. You know, like a good example is a little bit what Brenda talked about with Lada, um, that she's this buoyant, passionate, caring, you know, lover of all things wonderful in life. Um, That was how we defined her as opposed to the um, classic character. Pretty much her character was that she loves to eat. So that wasn't really enough for our Lotta. Um, but one of the things that we loved about Lotta was that she was this kind of oversized character. And we we embraced the idea of um, keeping her a, a gorgeously, wonderfully, deliciously plus-sized gal and that she would embrace that part of herself. She never talks about it. We never acknowledge it in the show. It's she, Nobody makes fun of her. She feel insecure. It's just a part of who she is. So that was one of the things that we really... Um, love and is a good example of how we honored the past but made it our own version. One of the things that I noticed um, with your cast of characters is that you consciously diversified the characters and not just mm-hmm. the main, the, you know, the three girls, but also your supporting cast as well. Mm-hmm. You didn't stick with the all white depictions that they were from 60, 70 years ago. What were those conversations like and what, 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 what did you know that you had to have? Um, I mean, it really is one of the things that works for the old comics is in terms of character types and in terms of personalities, there was a type of basically every type of is represented in sets of personalities. Like there was a wide array of types. So it was nice to look at the old comics and be like, oh, 
here was the here's the shy kid, here's the smart kid, here's the funny kid, here's the, here's all that. But one of the things that would be kind of the stumbling blocks now is they didn't look like today's kids. It was a sense like, you know, if you look at go on many streets anywhere in the world, you're going to see in a diverse array of children. So it was wanting it to be still be universal in look now as well as in the characters. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't so much that we were looking for a specific of having a set number of diversity or something like that. It really was just a sense of like, we want any kid anywhere in the world, especially it's, it's on Netflix, Netflix streams everywhere. So we want any kid anywhere in the world able to watch the show and relate. And that has to be on both a visual and character level. Yeah, we wanted them to be able to see their face, so to yeah. speak. That, that, you know, this was a real cross-section of children across the world. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned, and it's clear, you really updated the characters for 2018. And it's, it's beyond the names you've updated them to the point that where people might not even immediately recognize the roots of those characters from the 40s comics. So I have to ask, why use those Harvey Kids characters as a foundation at all? Why not just create new characters set on a cul-de-sac in, you know, 2018? Um, I think part of it is, is these are these are strong, funny individual characters. So it is, why not use this funny root of a character still that is still there and has, uh, for better or worse, hasn't really been touched in years. Mm-hmm. So it is, uh, part of it's just, why not use it? There's and, so much to inherently love about this world yeah. already, and that's that's the same with picking out any kind of classic, um, I guess I can call it franchise, but any kind yeah. of you know classic IP. Uh, <laughs> IP, yeah. That yeah. that you know, if there's enough there to say, like, wow, there was something really wonderful here. How can we how can we grow this? And for yeah. us, it was it was you know this group of neighborhood kids, and it was, it was these girls that are distinctly different girls, you know, which was a, a goal of mine and and both of ours really was to create something where there were three distinctly different female characters. Here were these three great female characters from, you know, from cartoon history that we could start with and expand on. It, it was just a super fun and exciting mm-hmm. challenge for us. Yeah. The other thing I actually will say is it's funny. After probably the first month or so on the show, I in a way stopped thinking of them as legacy mm-hmm. characters. They actually were very much to me, and I think to a lot of our crew, they kind of are original characters. Mm-hmm. Like we know we obviously we have our roots and we mm-hmm. respect them, but it really did become a case of we treated this as if they are our own characters, our own creations, and just having fun with them in that sense. Because um, we really, outside of probably the first episode, we don't we didn't really raid the old comics for stories. It really was like. Let's just take what we really like for this as inspiration and then run off and do our own thing. That's yeah, that's pretty what the huge. This, it, was. this is not a retelling. Yeah. Or this is it, this is our own thing. And and I feel like the um, the show and the characters kind of started to take on a life of their own. Like they just, I don't know how else to say it, and if this sounds too foo-fooish, but <laughs> they sort of told us what they needed to be. The characters told us who they needed to be. The stories told us what they needed to be. And and. And in, in you know infusing the parts that we liked about the historical comics with who, comics with who these characters are and and this nod to childhood, um, it just kind of grew from there and we let it. Yes, the legendary super sweeto cavity blastums made with eight sugars, ten artificial caramels, and an experimental hyper nougat. The cereal's so sweet it turns the milk in your bowl into soda. Oh, so sweet they had to take it off the market after a single hour. Oh. 
that being said, though, that they they are these characters that have existed for for generations. So, what kind of directive did you get from above when when the characters were handed to you? Like, did did they come with some sort of mission, or did they just say, "Here, here's a sandbox, go play." Exactly. Sandbox, go play. It nice. really was just that we think these characters are fun. Do you think these characters are fun? Cool, make them fun. Yeah. Nice. So it's kind of a nice, yeah. Again, it really was yeah. a. I was sorry. In terms of shows I've ever been on, I've probably had, I feel like, the most freedom ever on this show. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the cool thing is that I think the studio really trusted Brendan and I to do something great with it. And, you know, of course, we worked with them and, and we had great executives supporting us so that we would share what we yeah. were doing with. But there was a lot of trust from the studio to let us kind of run with our ideas and, and really try it and, and show them what we wanted to do. The other legacy, honestly, that we kind of wanted to be a part of was actually just um, character-driven cartoony cartoons. Mm -hmm. Because there is that nice heritage of them, like going back to Peanuts and uh, in more recent history, like, you know, those early 90s cartoons of Doug or Mm -hmm. uh, Hey Arnold or stuff like that. And wanting to do a show that is in that vein again, because I feel like we've been seeing a lot more high concept cartoons rather than just like just kids being kids, but in a cartoony way. Yeah. Yeah, I love that too. I love that you brought that up because for me too, I mean, I came from my start was in animation, being a traditional animator at Disney Features. And, you know, after moving away from that and getting into television, part of the excitement for me was the opportunity to now do more or less cartoony cartoon. And I'm talking hand drawn pencil and paper um, style animation. And when I saw the early um, designs, to me, um, it spoke to me because of this opportunity to get to do something like that, which I was craving and dying to do. Yeah. So it was yeah. all, it was, it was one big package. <laughs> um, correct me if I'm mistaken, but this is, I think, the first time that DreamWorks has mined these Harvey Comics characters for an animated show, correct? Yeah, I think it is. I'm, yeah, sorry, I'm running a little bit of uh, what development. Yeah, no, I think that is correct, yes. So when this was first in discussions or in development and you guys were coming on, what characters were in the lineup? Like who was on the table? Was it everybody <laughs> or was it just a few or were you just given these three? Uh, it was these three and any of their supporting cast, more or less. Um, I, I, like Melvin and Lucretia. Yeah, exactly. Melvin, and Lucretia, and Tiny. Yeah. Like basically it is about, in the current series, I'd say it's two thirds of our cast all has roots in the old Harvey comics. Um yeah, so it's basically anybody who is like a recurring cast member in Audrey Dot or Lada was on the table. Um, beyond that, the other bigger name uh, characters were not so much on the table. So no Casper. No. <laughs> no Casper or Wendy or exactly. Yeah, or they were. Rich. Yeah, we have our we have our pie in the sky dreams, but none of them were uh, offered up. Hmm. A, a large. Um, to this cartoon was getting these three girl characters, these three female yeah. characters together. That one thing that was so exciting for me as a woman in our industry and having done this for a while now was that here was a studio and an executive that wanted, that was setting out to do a show with three female leads that were cartoony, comedic um, female leads. So it was, it, it, it really was about Lottie, Lottie, Lotta, Audrey, and Dot. It was yeah, about yeah. those three girls, and everything else grew out from there. Yeah. Um, Aliki, you mentioned that you started your career as an animator at Disney, and you spent 
years doing that and then you were a storyboard artist on Phineas and Ferb and you know you it was like pencil to the paper I guess you could say the kind of work that you were doing what led to this shift to directing and producing was it and were they conscious decisions or were they just opportunities that landed in your lap you couldn't say no to <laughs> oh boy that's like a whole other podcast um I mean I'll try to tell the shortest version I can I started out, I mean, as I'm, I'm that person as a young kid. I was obsessed with cartoons and Disney features and on all the classic Warner Brothers cartoons. I, wanna, I wanted to animate so badly. And I did my exciting uh, run at Disney Feature Animation. And I was there for the demise of 2D animation. And Can, um, we, can we blame you for that? that? What's that? Can we blame you for that? Oh, <laughs> I wish. And I could fix it. But... Um, <laughs> I actually was the most attracted to in animation was the storytelling and that sort of opened up this whole road of developing my own projects and doing shorts for Nickelodeon um, through you know, with Frederator and I got a taste for filmmaking and storytelling and um, working on all sides of um, you know the sphere um, and so that just started opening doors for me I did some development at Disney I ended up running Descendants Wicked World, so I found out, oh yes, that thing that I've been wanting to do, running a show, is a thing that I actually really like <laughs> and um, and actually love. I love wearing a lot of different hats, so I've just stayed on that track. So I mean, it's create all the all the hats that you've worn. They're all creative, just in different ways. But you know, is is there a part of you when you go in and punch your time card to do production and directing that is like, oh, I wish I could just sit down and draw. <laughs> <laughs> That is a funny question. Um, there are times where I do feel like that, and I usually will just kind of make that happen for myself. I mean, the drawing has become a means to an end for me. I, I draw on my own anyway, but because what because for me the ultimate um, joy is the storytelling part of it, then whether it's the drawing or record or calling retakes or an animation or, or, you know, getting notes from an executive or in the writer's room, whatever it is, it's all a means to an end. And the end is creating an, a wonderful story that children will hopefully love and, and identify with. Yeah. Um, Brendan, I, I know a lot more of your career has been with writing and you're still you still are writing, but you also made the jump to producing, you know, you're, with this and with Dawn of the Crudes. Is this just a natural career path in the industry or is it just is it par for the course for DreamWorks or is it just you guys are really awesome? <laughs> uh, but for no sincere answer, um, I think it's uh, most of the time, like for myself, for the writing track. As a writer, you get to the place where it's like if you're starting to, once you get that first gig, you get on staff somewhere, and then you, the hardest thing really is getting a second gig. It's once you start to prove like, okay, I can be staffed, I can be in a room, I can write. You can definitely, if you choose to, that can be your career. You will work the rest of your life and be totally fine doing that. And I know writers who are some of the funniest writers I've ever worked with, that is what they want to do, and it's totally fine. For myself, there was always a drive of, I want to get in the position to kind of create my own thing or to run my own show. It's just what I enjoy doing because a little similar to what Leek you're saying, I discovered for myself, writing is always my first love. I, it is the greatest passion, but I actually really love the rest of the process. Um, actually, comic books have me that more than TV. But another thing I love comic was working directly with the artists and kind of having the thing like the back and forth of like, 
I could adjust things for him or her, and she could do or hurt him. Yeah. Either Jenna could do the same for me, but basically just back and forth, having that kind of dialogue is, oh, I really enjoy the collaboration on the entire process, not just like writing a script and sending it off. Um, and in animation, a lot of times when we try to do it in our crew, a lot of times the writers are literally sequestered from the mm -hmm. rest of the crew and have zero interaction. Mm -hmm. um, so we try to do differently on our show by having everybody interact, but one of the reasons I wanted to move into more of a producing role was I could still write, but like, I love sitting in the edit phase. I love post-production, actually, like going through the footage and making music and sound choices mm -hmm. and trying to find the ways to make sure that the what was that initial idea that began mm -hmm. like in really just a writer like pitching a one sentence is now fully being executed at its funniest, at its best version mm -hmm. on the back end. Like the Walked whole along the way at exactly. every level. And that's what yeah. I love about it is every level servicing yeah. this one thing. Exactly. Yeah, so exactly. sound effects and like I thought it was funny if we had the sound effects here and yeah. like it, it's just um, the the magic of seeing this thing come to life on every level is something that I think I'm addicted to. What is um, th this whole DreamWorks and Netflix collaboration is sort of like a runaway train. Like it just start it started off with just you know a few of the you know most prominent franchises and films and IPs, and now it's just like I think you're coming up on like two dozen different shows that have been put out. What's the collaboration like among the different crews on the, the current crop of shows? Uh, so at least in our experience, and I think this does genuinely vary show to show, but I can speak for Crudes and Harvey Street. Um, the collaboration is Netflix gives us dates that they want shows and we give them shows. Uh, <laughs> it, in the best possible way, Netflix has been a silent partner of sorts, at least in my experience. Um, it's great. We have their support. And I mean, you cannot ask for better access to the world mm -hmm. than Netflix right now. Like it's just a great way to have your your show and your cartoons get out there. Uh, but it really is like uh, the collaboration and creative input comes from the DreamWorks mm -hmm. side. Like it really is, it's top to bottom here. Uh, they have very supportive execs, like Aliki was saying, like we have execs who really just kind of let us run, but still offer very solid feedback. Mm -hmm. Like um, really it's, nice. I've been lucky on both shows. I really can't say there's ever been like the notes that the stereotype the stereotype of the Hollywood exec giving like the note that's like, you didn't even read this thing or like that's idiotic. No. I haven't found that. They're here. just as invested as we are. Yeah. It is genuinely more of a conversation than ever being like, no, you cannot do X mm -hmm. or we want you to make sure you have five toys per episode or something mm -hmm. like that. Is there, any, is there any working across like teams, different shows, you know, like, do you ever sit down with like the gang from Voltron and just hash it? Not, not, not that your ideas would necessarily be work for yeah. one or the other, but you know, just ideas, you know, that, that or ways so. that you work. A little bit. I, I think that uh, I've heard gonna there's going to be even more. Guess, We've been a yeah. part of a couple of brainstorming um, sessions for some other um, yeah. shows here in the studio. And think, we were told there's going to be more and more of that. I think, I think the intention is to, um, continue to develop a little bit of the brain trust type of idea that yeah no I think it's also just this personal relationships between a lot yeah. of the crews of like just people you know it's as anybody I think just in animation you all work together long enough you start knowing people on every crew yeah um so yeah it's I mean personally it's I feel like it's I happen to be friends with like Matt Beans who runs Trolls so like we'll text each other questions of like how did you deal with such and such mm -hmm. or what, what would you do if you had this story problem will bounce things off of each other but that's again just more of the personal relationship but the nice thing at dreamworks is i mean even though the tv studio has only been here five years or so 
there actually is already those kind of like bonds of a lot of these crews do overlap with each other. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot of people can always reach out to other, yeah. other folks. Yeah. Uh, Aliki, I watched your TED talk and one thing <clears> that jumped out at me was that you said when the film that made you want to become an animator was Dumbo. Yeah. So I, I have to ask. <laughs> oh, don't ask me this. <laughs> Thoughts? Don't ask me this. Thoughts on Tim Burton? Um, don't be mad at me, people, but I actually didn't hate it. I did not hate the, the preview that I saw. And, and I don't know it's, if it's because I love Dumbo so much and I do respect Tim Burton as a filmmaker. Um, I feel like just from the preview, I saw enough of the heart that I would want to feel from the Dumbo universe. Um, it didn't feel like here's a typical Tim, what you expect from Tim Burton. Um, so I am... I'm going to remain hopeful on the day. It was nice to it was nice to not good. see Johnny Depp as the elephant. That's true. <laughs> but that actually brings up a good point. I think anything wrong with the Tim Burton aesthetic. No, we love the Tim Burton aesthetic, but it's nice to see what his creative mind can do with um, moving away a little bit from what yeah. we might expect from yeah. Tim Burton. Brendan, anything you can uh, tell us about Star Wars detours? Oh boy. Oh, uh, <laughs> I think the only thing I can tell you about Star Wars teachers is there's probably been zero updates that I can tell you uh, <laughs> since the last round. Um, yeah, I know. I, the only thing I will offer is I did finally get released because there's some rumor that seemed to be going around. Um, from the best that I have heard, there's that is not the case. Um, I don't want to officially say the word vault, but I think that's kind of the implication I get at least these days. All right. All right. I'll go cry after this. It's fine. So there you have it. Um, Brendan Hay, Aliki Theophilopoulos, the Harvey Street Kids. Check it out on Netflix. You won't be disappointed. Put your kids in front of it, and, and then hopefully it'll be sort of a uh, a, uh, a catalyst to get them outside over during the summer and to get outside and play and have their own adventures. Uh, one of the things that I did mention toward the end there was I, I brought up to Aliki that because she was such a fan of Dumbo, and it was such an inspiration for her professionally and personally. Um, I, I asked her about the the new Dumbo trailer that we got a week, week two weeks ago, uh, the Tim Burton Dumbo live action film. What do you guys think about that? Uh, the I got was getting very strong Maleficent vibes from it, especially with the, uh, the slowed down kind of creepy version of the of the music that they use. Uh, it's obviously, it looks like Tim Burton, but it's not like over the top Tim Burton, if that makes sense. What do you guys think about it? Uh, are you excited for it? Are you not excited for it? Are you, are you tired of the live action trend? I saw a list somewhere recently where they, they, they listed every single, um, Disney animated feature from Snow White until now. And whether there was a live action version of that film in the works and of 50 some films that they've got out, I think there were fewer than, there were fewer than 10. I want to say that there were fewer than five probably that did not have some sort of a live action film either in production or in development or has already been done. And now they're thinking about sequels. Are you tired of this trend? Do you like it? I've found, for me, that they've kind of been hit or miss. Some have been good, some have been meh, some I just didn't even see because I totally missed it. Um, but let me know what you think. 
Are you looking forward to Tim Burton's Dumbo? It's kind of been a joke. Uh, when, <laughs> Justin and I joked about it quite a bit when they first announced it, and now it's actually becoming a real thing. So it's, uh, I'm sure we'll all go see it or rent it and, and eventually. But um, what are your thoughts? Let me know. Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, The GBB Podcast. You can find me at The Roarbots. And until next week, I am Jamie Green, and this is The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Take care.